Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. Hear now the word of the living God. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great." I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. This too is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Living God, we pray now that you would incline our hearts to hear and receive even perhaps a challenging text at the close of this Lord's Day, but we pray that you will encourage us as well. Help your people, guide us and guard us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we spoke of the return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In 2 Peter, we have seen that Christ is returning and that there will become, or there will come scoffers in the last days who will deny that Christ is coming and that there is really no need to worry about judgment for sin. In keeping with that theme, Peter is not the only one to speak about the return of Christ, nor of the judgment of sin at his return. We see such an idea. In the book of the Revelation, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by John. Of course, there are many resources that I would commend to you if you choose to dive further into this book. We as a church, several years ago, went through this book of Holy Scripture. But with the idea of Christ's coming in view, 
The idea that there will be not a quiet judgment, but a clear and decisive and final judgment that all the world will see. Tonight, let us consider the King who comes. The book of Revelation is a book wherein we see a variety of cycles, pictures, Many people want to take up this book and read it as if it were chronological, one thing after another, but I think that would do injustice, as we will see even tonight, by the way that the book is put together. John regularly pulls from the Old Testament imagery, and in doing so, he builds. In fact, we've seen this white horse rider already, Revelation 6-2. In our text, this rider on the white horse It's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't have to convince you of who he is. It is Christ, and he is the King who comes. Tonight, I want us to consider his coming and the two feasts that are spoken of. Well, let's then consider, firstly, the victorious King who will be seen by all. Contrary to popular teaching some century and a half prior to us, the victorious king's return will not be seen by a few, but it will be seen by all. It will be decisive. Every mouth will be clothed. The scripture says that when King Jesus returns, he will be marveled at. You worship a king who will be marveled at by every eye. Now let's look at the details. We don't have time to give the full background to every single symbol, but suffice it to say, the book of the Revelation is full of them. In verse 11, we see this, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Then we get the identity with the descriptor of the one riding on the horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. The rider on the white horse, the Messiah, is called faithful and true. He rides in, as it were, into the course of history where the world is anything but faithful and it's anything but true. Do we not, even this very day, Mourn the fact that all over the world there is an utter lack of faithfulness to God and to one another. Truth seems to be all but gone from the average discussion, from the average life. But here, the centerpiece of history rides in. and He's called faithful and true. And in righteousness, notice, not in this instance he saves. That's true. He does save in righteousness. Boys and girls, Jesus is our righteousness. He perfectly obeyed. He's righteous in every way, and he's our substitute. So that if we have faith in him, we are righteous before God. But here notice that it says, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. The victorious king will be seen by all, and he will be seen as a judge, a righteous judge. Do we not long for righteous judges even among our peers in the world in which we live? He will come. 
And he will judge in righteousness. Notice, as was already seen in the book in Revelation 1.14, his eyes are like flames of fire. This is why I say to you, it, it's not the best way to read the book, to think of it as simply chronological. The same kinds of symbols and signs are reused over and over and over again as these cycles or pictures happen. Here, he returns And his eyes are like flames of fire. He judges in righteousness. He sees with a piercing glance all things. And we're meant to read this. In the first century, the readers were meant to read this as a call to persevere and to hope. And think what kind of hope there would be. But on the very last few pages of Holy Scripture, the promised return of Christ is listed faithful and true, eyes like a flame of fire, a judge who comes. But notice verse 12. Not only are his eyes like a flame of fire, but on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Crowns on his head. We've seen this before, Revelation 6.2. This is like a victor's crown. The victorious king will be seen by all, and he will be seen as victorious. Our king is truly victorious, and every eye will see it. Every single pagan that mocks his name will see it. Every single actor or actress who calls into question his truth will see him. Every single abortionist will see him. Every single person who in any way denies his word or his truth will see him. And they will see him as victorious. He will come crowned, riding on a white horse. His name is known to no one but himself. He alone knows the full resurrection. Revelation of his character and purpose. Only he who is God knows all things. But notice in verse 13 we read this. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. We've seen this before, haven't we? John, the writer of the book of Revelation, calls him the Word of God, doesn't he? In the book of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I just want you to see firstly, brothers and sisters, that the victorious King will come and He will be seen by all. And His coming, Christ's coming, is the centerpiece of history. It is to this that we look. It's this that ought to frame our days, that our victorious King will be seen by all. And oh, how those of us who know and love him will cherish the day that we marvel at him as he returns. But John continues and reveals to us, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that not only will the victorious king be seen by all, but secondly, the victorious king will judge all wickedness by his word. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but over the last few weeks and months, perhaps the last few years, I have had an increasing sense or awareness, perhaps it's just become more palpable to all of us, of the evil in our streets, the evil among the nations, 
The events around the world simply in the last two months ought to convince every last one of us that there is great rebellion against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that is alive in our streets. And just as the false teachers in Peter's day were tempted to say, where is his coming? He's not going to come to judge sin. We might even be tempted, who know better, to think wickedness will endure forever. The evil that we see will endure forever. But notice what is promised in verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, any time we think about Jesus and blood, we're right to think about the blood that he shed to pay the penalty for our sins. But as is very clear from the context here, this robe dipped in blood points us to something else. This blood that we see, that his robe is dipped in, is blood of judgment. For this, we have to consider several passages of the Old Testament that John likely is drawing from. Turn with me to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. Because our sins, brothers and sisters, were judged on Christ on the cross. He poured out his blood for our sins. And we are covered in the blood of the Lamb. But all throughout the pages of Scripture, there is another kind of blood that is pointed to. Isaiah 63, 1-3. Read this Old Testament prophecy. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. You have to consider that the Old Testament sometimes, when it talks about the coming of Christ, pictures the coming of Christ in, it seems, one kind of image. And of course, now we know that the coming of Christ pictured by prophets like Isaiah was really a twofold coming. When we read, for instance, in the early few chapters of Isaiah where the virgin shall conceive... We're meant to think of the first coming of Christ. But what of this prophecy? Here, I think we're meant to think of the second coming of Christ, where blood will be spilt for those who have long rejected the only way of salvation. This is blood of judgment. And John picks up on this theme. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood blood. Notice in verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Sharp sword. We've seen this if you've read the book of the Revelation before. Revelation 1.16, 2.12, In fact, Isaiah in Isaiah 49 verse 2 speaks to the coming 
servant of the Lord, to the coming Messiah as having a mouth like a sharp sword. But if we, if we listen for just a moment, and we need to, to Isaiah's prophecy, we get to those words, or that word, winepress. Why are your garments red? Because I have trampled in the winepress. Of course, the winepress would be that device where grapes would have been crushed in the making of wine. Here we're given this picture of a glorious, victorious king that all will see who by his word will bring judgment. And that judgment is pictured as a judgment that stamps out all wickedness and wicked sinners. He's coming. He's coming. And we have the opportunity to prepare for His coming by simply embracing His Word. Words of mercy and salvation. I will receive you. Come to me. Think of what He said when He stood walking on the earth to Jerusalem. His very own people. The center city of His people. What did He say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would love, how I long to gather you, how? As a hen gathers her chicks. I, the servant of the Lord, I, the Messiah, I, the Christ, long to gather sinners. But what does he say? But you wouldn't come. Well, we see that on his robe and on his thigh, a name is written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. As the chapter unfolds, we're getting more names for this writer. We've seen this writer writing through the pages of Revelation already. We're meant to see here at the very end of this book that the king who is victorious will judge all wickedness by his word. And John gives us a picture of that judgment. And it's gruesome, really. It's gruesome to behold in one sense. Look at verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, just like the robe dipped in blood, when we think about the supper and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what do we think of? Well, we either think of the Lord's Supper table, which we partook of this morning, or we think of that great table to come. In fact, that table has just been mentioned in Revelation 19. Look there at verse 6 of our same chapter. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for what? The marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. But this supper, this supper to which the angels invite the birds of the sky to prepare for is a different supper. It is a different feast. What is the feast? Verse 17 of chapter 19. Come, 
Gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. Now, tonight doesn't give me enough time to prove to you once again the identities of the beast and the false prophet. If you were with us some years ago, we learned together that the beast really is an image for governments arrayed against Christ. Governments raising their fist in the face of the true king. And the false prophet really is a picture or a symbol for false religions. And sometimes they work together. Sometimes they work in harmony. Listen to what Gregory Beale writes in his very helpful commentary on the book of Revelation. He says this, quote, The beast made divine claims and the false prophet supported those claims by influencing others to pay heed lest they be persecuted. Have you ever seen anyone under the name of religion encouraging you to follow godless governments? It's all around us. This feast is not the marriage supper of the Lamb. This feast in Old Testament imagery is a feast of covenant curse. Here's what I mean. John uses, as he often does, Old Testament language. I don't think we're meant to think literally in this regard, that when Christ comes, birds will literally fly out of the sky and come attack people who are not Christians but rather using imagery from the Old Testament, we're meant to see that there are two feasts. There's a feast for Christ's people, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where for all of eternity they will be with Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, only there by His blood. And that there will be another feast, as it were, judgment upon all who reject Him. In the Old Testament, one of the pictures of being under the curse was this kind of imagery. Let me give you just a few examples. This time is short this evening. But Ezekiel, Ezekiel 39, Ezekiel chapter 39, hear these words, or you can turn there if you like. Ezekiel 39, verse 17. Another Old Testament prophecy. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and every feast of the field. Assemble yourselves together. Come, gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal. Well, I am sacrificing for you a great sacrificial meal in the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty. Drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them, fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal. While I am sacrificing for you, you shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment 
which I have executed. You see, John is not trying to be gross. John is not trying to be graphic. John is using the word of God. And he's saying that day is coming. The victorious king will judge all wickedness by his word. Jeremiah 16.4 might be a helpful passage, as well as Deuteronomy 28.15. Let me read that to you. Deuteronomy 28.15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. I won't read all of these curses in chapter 28. But if you continue to read, you will see very difficult language for breaking God's commands. So brothers and sisters, when we read in Revelation 19, verse 17 through 21, of the birds coming, John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit using Old Testament imagery to say, what God has said all along will happen. His word is true. You need not doubt his promise. This King of kings and Lord of lords who laid down his life for his own will crush all who reject him. The kings of the earth. It's simple to read that, isn't it? But think of the kings of the earth in 2023. They do not turn and, as Psalm 2 says, kiss the sun. They will come under the wrath of God for all eternity. They will be trampled in the winepress of his judgment, and it is a just judgment. What will they be slain by? Verse 21. The rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. The thing that will wipe out the evil rulers of this world, the beasts, the government arrayed against Christ, the false prophet, false religions, the thing that will wipe them all out is the very word which they denied, Christ's word. Friends, Christ will come again and walk among our evil streets. But he will bring judgment. And you need to think. You need to think. I need to think deeply about this. Human traffickers will be judged by the king. Abortion clinics will be shuttered and crushed. Faulty judges who use their position like un balanced scales will be ended. Rulers who raise their fist in the face of the king, who they will not have as savior, will be crushed. Arrogant atheists will be utterly confounded. Politicians who lie and steal and are corrupt will be ended. And they will all see him, and not an eye will Doubt that he is king of kings and lord of lords. The smugness of all of those who deny the word of God will be ended. There will not be one single person who will utter a single word. Christ's word will be the final word. He will ride, as it were, on his glorious steed 
on that day when we least expect it. And the centerpiece of history will be the victorious king judging all wickedness by his word. Think of the martyrs of old as they stood there waiting for the flames on the pyres on which they stood, waiting for the flames to come and burn their bodies because they stood for the word. Think of them longing to see the Savior, but knowing that the Savior would have the final word. Think of the missionaries slaughtered in foreign lands, longing for the king to bring his gospel to bear, but knowing that his king would have the final word. The victorious king will judge all wickedness, brothers and sisters. He will come. He'll be seen by all. And he will judge all wickedness by his word. But before we close, notice one final detail. We skipped over it for just a moment, but that's verse 14. Look there with me. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. I think a third thing that we see, and I want us to meditate on it for a moment together, is this. The victorious king will have the devotion of his armies. Now, we, of course, could say that these clothed in white, riding with him, are angels. After all, Matthew 25, verse 31, references Jesus' return as involving a company of angels. There will be angels aplenty when Christ returns. But, all throughout the book of Revelation, every time except for one where white robes or linen is mentioned, it's the saints. It's Christ's people, those for whom he died. And I want you to see this picture for just a moment. Yes, I believe there will be angels present. But it seems as though the saints above are traveling with him, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. Consider the devotion of those who will be with him. You may come with him. Should he linger for a few more decades, many of us will see him before this day. And consider the devotion of those who will be with him. Pristine, sinless gazing on Christ as they follow him. No half-hearted devotion anymore. You see, one of the challenges of still being in the body and not being present with the Lord is we look at the world and we're so saddened by what we see, but yet in our hearts, don't we still see vestiges of it? Don't we see half-hearted devotion? Aren't there days where at least some of us wonder, am I really going to persevere to the end? But here, there's no question of perseverance. There's no half-hearted devotion. The King of kings and Lord of lords who brings judgment on the world by his word, who is seen by all, is accompanied by ten thousands upon ten thousands of the saints for whom he died. And they love him 
They cannot get enough of him. They will spend all of eternity, we will spend all of eternity, gazing at his glory. And on this day, on this day, we will be present with him. Now you could interpret this as the saints above coming with the Christ. Or you could even add into this picture the army of all the saints, the church triumphant and even the church militant gathering together in one accord as he comes. Brothers and sisters, the victorious king on that day will have the full and complete devotion of his armies. You will no longer doubt. You will no longer wonder whether he's worth it. You no longer will sin. You no longer will feel the impulse of temptation. You no longer will have to work by his grace to press into his ways. He will be all the glory. And you, you will have full devotion. Now, brothers and sisters, as we close, the marriage supper of the Lamb has already been spoken of at the beginning of this chapter, has it not? This feast, pictured as it were among the Old Testament images as birds coming and destroying those who are making war against the King of Kings. If you can take it, there's one other picture in this chapter, and that is the song of praise. We are right to sing God's praises every Lord's Day for His mercy and His grace. But I want you to see the song of praise that is sung in Revelation 19. Verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Why do they praise him? Why do they sing together this hymn of praise? Notice the next part of the verse. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. This is Babylon. Read the last few verses of chapter 18. This is the world as it is arrayed against Christ. It's been crushed and the multitudes of heaven break out in praise. One of the reasons why heaven praises the Lamb is because He brings judgment on those who reject Him. And again they said, verse 3, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And then there is that call to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is very difficult for us to understand on this side of eternity the reality that one of the reasons why the living God, one of the reasons why the Lamb of God will be praised is because of his pristine judgment. And to the extent that we can't wrap our minds around praising God because He judges evil and sin still shows that in our hearts we still wrestle with it, do we not? But 
this king will be surrounded by a great multitude that he has saved and he will have their full devotion. Peter can say in 2 Peter, I know that shortly after I'm gone, scoffers will come from within you and they will tell you he's not coming. Where is his coming? They will tell you to live in the lusts of this world, to breathe the air of Babylon as it were in which you live. Peter will say, in complete unison with John, he is coming. The one who saved us, the one who died for us, and he will put an end as only he can to all the evil of this world. And as our hearts break, as we see the abortion clinics, as we see mention of human trafficking and all other abominations, as our hearts break, As we sometimes think, we're becoming more and more and more of a minority. Where are the Christians? Where are those who will stand up and say, King Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Will there ever be any multitude again that will sing praises to the King of kings and Lord of lords? There will be. It's here. There will be millions upon millions praising his name because he's a God who judges. So I ask you, are you ready For the king who judges sin. Because there are two types of blood mentioned in the scriptures in relation to him. It's his own blood spilt for every person who trusts in him. Who comes to him by faith alone. Says, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. You are the true and living God. Would you save me? You've offered to save me. Because of your word, I come to you. Will you save me by your blood? The other blood is this blood that his robe is dipped in, the blood of judgment. He's holy and he will punish sin. So, quite simply, will it be his blood or yours? Let's pray. Living God, give us hope even in the face of very difficult pictures of judgment. As we've seen today that scoffers will come and call us to question whether he's coming. Help us to hold on to his word. When the world scoffs at it, help us to hold on to his word by faith, by your spirit. Lord, we pray that you would remind us that your judgment is true and right and good. Help us, O Lord, to look to Christ And remember that by the Spirit of God, we are His forever. Until the day when we join that multitude of devoted saints riding behind their glorious King. Press us in, we pray.